I said to him, this is why I always get annoyed when you say, even if it's something tiny, but it's a bit misogynistic. I, I hate that, even if it's a joke, because that contributes to a bigger culture where we just we end up dismissing minor assaults or sexism or whatever. Hello, hello. So I realise that today's topic is very different in tone from the usual episodes and will be triggering for some of you as we'll discuss rape and sexual assault. So today we're joined by Yasmin Ilhan, who came out early this year about a rape that happened in high school. And so she's written a piece about this and also been featured in some articles. So I'll link that in the description. Also, if you're here because you just want to know more about the rape or details about it, I'm sorry, that is not going to be featured on this interview, as she says explicitly here. I don't want to go into the details of it. Instead, we're going to be discussing issues around consent, around victim shaming and misogyny. And also, I do want to point out that while Yasmin's rapist is a male, and she does often reference males as the perpetrators, she also explicitly says she knows that she's generalising, as she says here. Obviously, it's not only girls that can be, obviously, um, boys can also be victims of sexual assault, but... Um, we know on the whole it tends to be girls. Of course, there is so much to unpack, so let's just jump straight into it. I had people like full on harassing me. Like there was like a couple of women. I'm not sure if it was the same person just making new accounts because I was just like ignoring and blocking. Mm -hmm. But they were they were just people were telling me like that I, I was just lying and he wasn't there at the party where it happened. And I just don't know where oh, that's wow. coming from because I have people, they're like so many witnesses are saying he wasn't there. And I was like, okay, well, that's just not true. And like people message saying, I'm sure this happened to you, but I, you've got the wrong person. But it's more just this, how normal it is that we're just, um, we just invalidate what victims are saying. Um, mm -hmm. Because tell me that I don't know who is when I, I'm very, like, I don't want to go into the details of it, but I'm 100% certain, of course, like, I wouldn't be doing all this if I wasn't. Mm -hmm. um, but there's no way that I didn't know who it was. And I just think that that's such, that just shows how, um, to the lengths that we'll go to, to just sort of, because um, to me, that's ridiculous to say to me. But yeah, I think there's more subtle stigma in that way, which isn't so, um, except that's just, you know, saying I'm lying and the typical stuff or I don't know what I'm talking about. But then there's also, on the other hand, the more aggressive things like having people say, did he make you come? Was it real rape? Which, I mean, maybe some people wouldn't find that second one that bad. But to me, that was something I really struggled with, um, which I've spoken about um, when I wrote my opinion piece. But I, the reason why I never reported it was because I questioned whether it was or not, because I was young and, you know, we don't have that education. So hearing that, um, was really difficult for me to deal with because I felt like I'd sort of come out the other end. Like I, you know, I'd reported it. I'd, um, after speaking to friends and getting reassurance that it was real. Um, I mean, I studied it too, so I knew it was real objectively and rationally, but you still sort of invalidate yourself because you're like, Oh, you know, I don't know. You just make up these excuses in your head for why it's still not real. So hearing something like that to me was really damaging. I think even when I spoke to the police, they were doing that to me. Like they were um, telling me that because I was young and I didn't know it was rape, they were suggesting that was the reason why the case couldn't go further. Um, and because he probably didn't know it was rape, which is not how the law works. Um, I've obviously studied it in England, but I've read the Victorian legislation and it's 
our laws tend to be very, very similar and it pretty much is identical. With pretty much any law, to my knowledge, every law, it doesn't matter if you know I'm committing X offence. The fact is you have to satisfy the like mental element and the physical, like the, I don't want to get all like legally, but the actus reus and the mens rea, the perpetrator, if he reasonably believed that I was consenting, then he doesn't have the mental capacity or the mental um, element of rape. But if he didn't reasonably believe that, then he does have it. So it doesn't matter if he knows what I'm doing right now is rape. As long as he can see that um, there's a reason, it's not reasonable that he could look at what was happening and think I'm consenting. So like if you're like fighting back or whatever, you could make a pretty good claim that they couldn't have reasonably believed you were consenting, right? Um, and so even if he doesn't know that that's technically satisfying the offensive rape, that's irrelevant as long as he doesn't have that belief. Um, so for the police to say that to me, this is, and this is what made me so um, mad about the whole thing was that I am able to call them out on that. I was able to say to the police officer, that's not correct. Why is that relevant? They couldn't give me any answers. But that's, then I just thought to myself, imagine all those people that don't know that. And just, of course, you're going to accept what, if a police officer says that affects whether or not the case can be pursued further, you would, of course, just accept it, right? Like, you're not going to, I mean, I know lots of people don't trust the police, but you would still think that what that you would just your first thought would be okay yeah fine I'll trust what they say so I just think when it's when it's so normalized that it's coming from the police like it's just what hope do we have really um mm -hmm. or we have hope but there's just a lot that needs to be done Okay, so this is going to be the first out of very many voice snippets in this interview, partly just to help transition between clips because Yasmin and I jump in our conversations quite a lot. So back to what Yasmin was saying, already we can see that invalidating victims is a huge issue, even with police and authorities. And to recap what qualifies as rape, because this is so important, it doesn't matter whether the perpetrator knows that what they were doing in the moment was rape for it to be classified as rape, as long as they can tell that the victim is not mentally consenting. Of course, this also has to couple with the physical criteria of assault for that to be classified as rape. Okay, so now on to Yasmin explaining how she invalidated herself, which made coming out even harder. I very largely repressed, rep like, not repressed, as in I still thought about it, but it was very much pushed back in my mind, so I rarely thought about it, unless it was um, raised, for example, when studying sexual offences at uni. Also, it's such a big, like this past year since I reported it has been one of the hardest years of my life, like probably the hardest year of my life other than when my dad died <laughs> because it brings up so much um, and it's, you know, because I had put it to the back of my mind for so many years, reporting it meant that I had to reopen all these things even after I learned what consent was, I still put it off because I didn't want to have to deal with those feelings. And also I still just had those those thoughts of, oh, it's still not a big deal. Like, you know, um, even though I knew it would likely satisfy the definition of rape, um, I still told myself, no, you know, people won't believe me. People, I don't know, I did X, Y, Z that, that will be used against me. For example, drinking, um, you know, because you're vulnerable, you've made yourself vulnerable. Invalidating can also happen because we're not clear on what rape looks like beyond the typical scenario, as Yasmin explains here. I watched a lot of Law and Order, um, SVU, which is the Sexual Victims Unit, um, and that was like I've always been interested in 
criminal justice and, and everything. So I watch so many shows and I, in every show, when the victim is like a girl at a party and, you know, there's alcohol involved and whatever, they just never get bleak. And I know that that's fictional, but when I was 15, I was just thinking to myself, even if this is something, I don't know if it is, but even if it is, it's not been taken seriously because I'm, I tick all those boxes of the typical victim that gets dismissed. Mm-hmm. Um, so we need to stop. We do. There is a lot being done on this, but I just don't think it's enough clearly because of the experience that I've had. We need to be um, highlighting and just like making it so clear that assault and rape is not just in an alleyway um, by a stranger. Um, like those talks, that's just not reality. Yeah, we just need to be making people aware that it's not just those typical, typical, that aren't actually typical rapes and assaults, mm-hmm. but more those blurred lines where the vulnerability of a young person with little life experience is um, taken advantage of. Right. And so it, it's so ironic because before a victim even comes out, they're negatively reinforced to do so because of what society gets them to think and gets them to question themselves and so it never actually gets stated or there's reluctance to do it because of the stigma around it which is terrible because then we think of how many un unmade cases there are there there must be so many that people have discounted because they don't believe it was truly uh, unlawful Yasmin also discounts her own experiences by not being able to call it rape, partly through comparing it to other cases of rape and downplaying the severity of her situation, like what she says here. Last year when I reported it, I literally couldn't call it rape. Like I would laugh when I, when I had to call it rape, I would laugh or I would say rape. Even after I reported it and they told me it was rape, like, um, or like they had said to me, the offences we would charge him with are rape. So, like, I knew that that's what it was in law and it had been confirmed to me also by a lawyer. And I was like, but I still just couldn't, like, do it because I still thought, oh, it's not. My thought process when when I was going through this was people get raped by their parents. People get, like, locked in a room, you know, that sort of thing. So I was like, mine's nothing, right? Like, mine's not a big deal at all compared to what people go through. There's also societal dismissal, where sexual assault is so common that people just accept that this is what happens. And just warning that this section might be hard to listen to, just because Yasmin discusses an assault that happened to her on public transport. When I did my Italian exchange at the end of year 10, so this was after I'd been raped, um, so I was 16 and I was on a bus in Rome and it was like the typical, you know, busy tram or like number eight tram, whatever it was that was always packed at school where you're literally touching people around you because you're so packed. And I, this man got on, he would have been so old. I don't know, like maybe like when I say so old, I mean like fifties or something. And he was like, started touching up my leg. I was wearing a skirt with tights and he like was touching up my leg. And at first I just thought, oh, someone's bags like rubbing against me because we're so packed together. And then I started noticing it was way worse. And he was like trying to go up and I was like so scared and I was in complete shock and I just like couldn't move. Even as the bus got less packed, I just was like, didn't know what to do. Um, and I was just like freaking out. And when I got off the bus, he like pinched my bum as I stepped off. And it was like, so sh- I like, and it was so scary I, I was on my way to school and I like was freaking out called my mom but when I got off I'd been like separated from my host sister on the bus because it was so busy and when I got off I told her what happened and I said like I want to we need to go to the police like that's disgusting and she was she said to me um oh no 
it happens to all of us. Like you can't, the police won't care. She said she had a friend who um, it happened to her so often on public transport. She just doesn't ever get public transport anymore. And this is when we're like, I mean, she would, they were older than me, maybe 17 or 18. Um, but I, that to me, like, I don't know. I have such a distinct memory of that because that was sort of, I guess maybe the first time where I'd so explicitly experienced um that whole idea that it's just part of life almost like I don't have that view and I've I I didn't I didn't agree with her I've always been in shock by that response but it just shows that so many women in part in every you know around the world just view it as that's just sort of what we go through as women Mm. Um, I was a child this is a grown man it's not even like a woman like you know mm-hmm. yeah like it's not even considered and well an issue really if mm-hmm. the response you get is oh the police won't care like you know it yeah. happens to all it's like it's just something we as women need to cop for our entire lives um and yeah i mean that just shows how like um like coming back to what you were saying about taking it seriously like stuff like that that told me we don't take sexual assaults or I mean, I wouldn't have even probably called it sexual assault then because I wouldn't have known really. I wouldn't have understood it. I just knew it wasn't okay. But um, it's just not taken seriously, mm-hmm. like, by the police but also just by society because she just didn't – my host sister just, like, never asked me about it again. Like, and I was, like, full-on traumatised. Like, I – like, it was, like, for the whole day. But no one – it's just not – yeah, I, it's so sad because that just leads to so many experiences being, like, suppressed. Yasmin also talks about sex ed back in year seven and how some of what we're teaching can ironically make things worse and shame sexual assault and rape victims. The video was about like a man and a woman having sex and it was saying you have sex because you feel so much love for that person that you want to get as close as possible to them, which is what leads to sex. And at the time, whatever, I didn't know anything about it. Like I was like, okay, cool. But now looking back, I think about this like, kind of regularly I think that even that like um narrative like yes okay it's great if you want to have if you're like in love have sex whatever but uh, teaching to kids that sex is only a thing when you're in love with someone and maybe you want to reproduce maybe I'm sure a lot say that you know when you want to have a baby like you have sex that even just like um builds this like idea to kids at such a young age because I'm pretty sure that was like in year seven that I think that contributes to like any shame. Like I was fairly young, so I would be like, okay, well, anything sexual is just when you're meant to be in love and you're meant to be like, you know, family. So that could be a barrier for people being comfortable talking about it because you're taught from that, your education system that sex or anything sexual is only arises when you're in love so if you're not doing it when you're in love and if it's not consensual and you don't really understand that you're going to think I did this when I shouldn't have done it that's gonna I don't so I don't know if we were going to have consent education and things and try and encourage an environment where it's not you're not going to be judged even if you're on the other end and you're the perpetrator or like perpetrator I don't know what the what word to use because I it feels wrong calling like 15 year olds who have made, who just didn't understand. In my scenario, I know he was 15, but he's done it to so many other girls that I just don't, I don't really put that down to like, oh, immaturity and a lack of understanding. Mm-hmm. I put that down to actually being a predator because it's, he's done it very recently too, mm-hmm. when he's 23. But anyway, at that age, if they're just making a mistake and you're, and you don't fully understand, um, 
for example, a boy saying, oh, if you really liked me, you loved me, you would do this with me. I understand how maybe they, they just don't understand that's wrong. And if they were taught that was wrong, they would stop. So for those kinds of people, like you're saying, we need to have it. So it's not, it's free of judgment, but when that, it would need to be changed. The whole other parts of the system would need to change too. We can't be teaching kids also that you only have sex when you're in love, because that's going to make kids who have had some of these experiences, whether they were consensual or not, feel uncomfortable. I would expect to talk about it because you probably think you've done something wrong or adults will judge you. So besides the invalidating, the shame, the self-doubt, there's also an information barrier for victims, as Yasmin points out here. When I came forward, because I posted it first on Instagram um, and I had so many girls, I can't even remember how many, messaging me about a lot were to do with the same guy that raped me, but um, some were just rant, like they didn't tell me who, but I presumed it wasn't him because otherwise they would have said maybe, but asking me, like telling me about their own experiences and or asking me advice on um, whether they this their experience was sexual assault or rape because they just clearly either, I mean, it showed to me that a lot of people don't come forward because I mean, just my guy alone, there was like 10 other girls or something that told me that they had been assaulted or raped by him. Um, And the other girls that were asking me for advice, like it just shows that there's clearly not, we're still so far from having a society where victims feel comfortable telling, I mean, why, like I understand people probably think I maybe know better because I, my whole thing was that I had a law degree. So I, I'm not, I don't emphasize that because I'm like, oh, I know everything. It's more because I'm someone who can't as easily be lied to by the police compared to most people that they probably deal with. Um, so the fact that girls are coming to me asking advice, I'm not qualified. Like I'm not a lawyer. I haven't qualified as a lawyer. I just have a law degree. I studied one of like my 10 subjects at uni was criminal law. Like it's, you know, it's not a major part of, I'm going into criminal law. So my job that I'm getting is going to be um, with the law commission in England and Wales and it's in the criminal law team. But right now I'm really not that qualified, but people were still coming to me and asking me for their own advice, which just shows that there's just no support because I really shouldn't be, I guess people felt like they could probably confide in me because I've, gone through it too even calling a helpline or something like that we shouldn't feel afraid to do that to um get our answers we shouldn't need to rely on other girls who have been victims to find out whether or not we were assaulted like it just shows that there's just not enough support at all when i was having issues with the police i did a lot of like i was looking up a lot um online about what my rights were and things like that and there's like very limited information on um there's very basic, very basic stuff. Like you're entitled to know if they're going to charge the perpetrator, that kind of stuff. But there's nothing more detailed than that, which is a massive gap as well. So I'm hoping to maybe like work on that in the future. So but, in the information, it, like it, it's in the law, but it's not easily accessible to people who yeah, are just like, Googling it or something. Yeah. Like, I mean, even someone like me who I can understand legislation, but I don't know where to find the legislation that says what my, what I'm entitled to or what, or the guidance. It's not necessarily in law, but it's a traumatic, like you don't want to be online for hours trying to research this. Like it should be something that's easily accessible. It's not that there's no resources, but in terms of knowing your rights, if there's nothing that, well, not nothing, but minimal stuff online now, eight years ago when I was going through it, um, I imagine there would have this pre me too before all that. Like I imagine that there was nothing 
there at all probably or at least not accessible yeah for for your teens when I was googling things you can there are helplines and there are things like that but I just think that the way that we're taught to conceptualize our own experiences by society um, means that we then dismiss them or minimize them and so we don't maybe don't want to I mean I can't speak for everyone but for me I can imagine that that would have been a massive barrier for me um at the time if I had thought of Mm -hmm. seeking help from someone I would have just thought you know I'm just going to be dismissed or it's embarrassing like I would have just thought they're going to think they might help me but they'll be thinking in the back of their minds this isn't a big deal like we have bigger scenarios that we need to be dealing with and you're like wasting our time that sort of thing so we can see it's not easy when there's an underlying shame that prevents victims from speaking up I did ask Yasmin for any helpful resources and she did mention Chanel Contas who also has a foundation called Teach Us Consent as well as Clementine Ford and the Youth Against Sexual Violence organization. So I'll link those all in the description. Okay, so now to change tracks. In the interview, I plan to ask Yasmin about consent classes and how best to teach those. But then I realized that I was pretty ignorant because I realized it wouldn't be as simple as just, you know, what would you teach? Because as Yasmin discusses here, there's a much bigger underlying issue of the patriarchal society we're in and really needing to address that first. The way we, because we live in the patriarchy and we tend to sort of, um, obviously it's not only girls that can be, obviously um, boys can also be victims of sexual assault, but um, we know on the whole it tends to be girls. So I looked at the stats from the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare, and they say that in 2018 to 2019, 97% of sexual assault offenders reported were male. And I emphasize reported because a lot of cases just go unreported. And that the 15 to 19 year old age bracket actually had the highest offending rates. The stats also did say that one in six women or one in 25 men have been sexually assaulted at least once since the age of 15. So while Yasmin does reference males as being perpetrators, women obviously can also be. It's just less common. So to sum up, really, everyone needs to be educated about this. And because of that dynamic, that gender dynamic, when you boys are often taught that they're entitled to have have girls and they're sexually entitled to them so when you're pressured by a guy you might think that's normal and I've experienced this as well like I might think that that's normal because you know things like very typically emotionally abusive things like if you really liked me you would do this or you know everyone's doing it why like that kind of thing we as girls young girls in society we're sort of conditioned to think that that's normal and or that that's true that if you did love them you would do that and boys are generally um taught that that's okay to say those things so as girls or victims we don't really understand that's not consent so and looking back at past relationships now i'm i now with the knowledge i have now i realize how many times i was actually taken advantage of um in that way those sort of assaults and i mean that would be rape if you're coerced into having sex that way those types where they're so normalized that we just don't even think twice about whether that's at that age maybe when you're older perhaps but at that age um particularly you wouldn't even think that that's not okay so of course i was really curious about what can we teach students and as i've learned from the wise shrek who says layers onions have layers consent ed also has layers 
when we're talking about like what can we what do we what do kids need to be aware of in consent education i just think focusing just on consent education is almost like too simple like we can't just when we live in a society that's like this, and it's still like this today like i have so many when I was like a couple years ago when I moved to England I was walking in a park and this kid who was like 14 rode past me on his bike and slapped my bum and this was yeah I was I was um visiting a friend at Cambridge Uni and we were just like walking in a park and that happened and I was like in shock I know it's not really a big deal but like I was a big deal I was busy it was like summer so it's you know it's like him and his friend and like I was so angry at myself because I wish I just like pushed him off his bike or something, but I was in shock. I was in shock because they rode past us again and I was like, oh, I should have done something. So these things still happen. He's so, like that, they were maybe even younger. Maybe he was like 12 because um, I remember thinking he was my brother's age. My brother would have been 12 then. So I, I just like, we need to look beyond just what the kids need to know within sex education and consent ed- and stuff like that, which I know is like what you're wanting me to talk about. But I just think that that's almost too simple of a, when there's the problem goes so much, for, we can't just put kids in a classroom and think, okay, we're going to solve X, Y, Z here. It's obviously part of the solution, but I just think that the problem is so much more like it, um, the cult, the misogynistic culture that we, every, you know, every single country has is so it pervades misogyny pervades every single part of our life. Like, uh, like I can't even think of an area of my life where it's not, we don't see it even if it's so subtle. Um, and so we need to like be breaking down the, or dealing with those things on a bigger societal level. And then I think consent education will be able to reach its full potential in terms of the effect it will have, because if kids are being taught that, but then they're going home and seeing their dads, like, slap their mum's bums whenever they're walking around the house or like when the mum maybe doesn't want it or the dad after dinner just goes and sits down and doesn't help out and the the wife's like cleaning everything up those more subtle things that are so like even normalized today those gender roles those things are just gonna um kids won't I don't think that they'll gain everything that they can from a consent education class if they're going home or leaving the classroom and just having that culture still reinforced around them does that make it's a, such a struggle because I, I get what you mean that it's pretty contradicting to be told one thing and to see another and to say, hang on, what I'm learning in this sex ed class is totally just I, I like we're all neglecting it because this is actually what's happening. So who am I supposed to believe? If it at least starts to plant an idea in their heads, I think it's an improvement from what we've done because a lot of people will have really firm beliefs about gender about victim blaming uh, in society and we can't avoid that but i think we can we have a lot of control over how we educate younger people because i know for a fact that younger people are more in tune with the social um, issues and all of that so there is a need and a requirement from or an interest from them to actually try and improve the world. And I think consent ed, even if it is one session per month mm-hmm. or something can do quite a bit, at least also maybe not from the perpetrator's point of view, but to show victims that they matter, that, that they're, I guess what they're trying to claim or something is valid. Um, 
and, no, and to go from that perspective instead, um, instead of focusing on perpetrators, which I know, you know, like it, it's backwards to, to try and what you were saying before to focus on the victims and say, hang on. Okay. How about you try these avenues as instead of a preventative, it's like a solution, like a yeah. fix it sort of thing. Yeah. To add to the trend, defining consent also has a lot of layers, as Yasmin says here. Well, I mean, I think the this is like a difficult, I mean, it shouldn't be a difficult question, but it is because people, there's consent in law and then there's consent just how we should, like we conceptualise it in everyday, like the way we define it, just according to normal everyday language. And obviously in law there can be, for example, implied consent. So like if you're having sex with your boyfriend and it's all, you're comfortable with it whatever you don't you don't explicitly have to say yes I consent to this and he's not going to then have raped you right because it's implied but the way we try and well, now the movement towards how we should define consent these days with you know me too and all of these this social work being dominant we're now moving towards in society not necessarily in law but just generally a definition where implied consent isn't considered to be really real. Like I see a lot of people talking about online how consent can't be implied. And I think that that's maybe where there's, we need to be sort of um, be more consistent in matching up our ideas of what it means, because if it's not reflected in the law, we shouldn't be, I think um, we shouldn't be teaching people this is what consent is because if something does happen when it's not how it's reflected in the law because if something does happen they might not have the legal protection that they think that they have and I just think that it opens up we need to be like more consistent and I was actually talking to my boyfriend about this yesterday and he was saying that he thinks saying implied consent is not consent and um, pushing for a model where you have to say yes every single time something's done which you know there's discussions around that he thinks that that's actually not going to solve anything which is really interesting because he thinks that that's just teaching generally boys to, well, only boys can rape because it has to do with the penis. Or, but I shouldn't say boys, but people with penises are the only ones that can rape, right? So a girl can, um, with a vagina can never. So I honestly thought Yasmin was joking. I don't know why, because it just doesn't seem like she'd joke about something like this. But yes, I just had completely no idea about this. Definitely in the UK. Uh, I presume it's the same in Australia. So in the UK, the definition is like penetration with a penis. And it's criticised a lot for being obviously gendered. But all people without penises can obviously like you can use dildos or whatever and it would still be, yeah, it's really problematic. But anyway, that's another issue. Um, But he was saying he just thinks saying to boys, you need to ask consent every single time, doesn't actually teach them what the issue is. It's just, I mean, you know, it's just like a band-aid essentially. It's just saying this is how we're going to prevent technically rape or whatever because they're going to have gotten that yes but it doesn't deal with if they're coerced into saying yes or it doesn't deal with you know there's all those problems so I just think I don't know it's a really hard question to answer like what is consent because I think everyone just has a different way of defining it it's difficult because I think it's just common sense like I know that that's that's like assuming that people have that understanding but for me I just think I would be able to most I would like to think I would be able to tell just using common sense whether someone's willingly consenting. I think the common sense that Yasmin refers to here is our intuition. So that slightly off feeling when we're not feeling okay. At the same time, it's important to communicate consent should be simple. But yeah, you don't want to be putting that idea then in young kids' minds that consent is only if they've said the words no, right? Like if you're afraid, 
So someone in that position might um, just go along with it, you know, but that's, that's not consent because you're being essentially forced to do it. But I don't necessarily think a lot of young people would recognise that. Um, and so looking at, at how, yes, consent is simple, but at the same time, we can't just be pushing this idea that consent is just saying yes or saying no, because so many victims will, or so many people will become victims that way because they won't recognize, or even just like the boys themselves won't recognize that what they're doing is not consensual. So despite that verbal yes, it's important to listen to that intuitional or that gut feeling about whether this is real consent, which I know, I know it's easier said than done, but um, at least it's an important thing to think about. And now we're digging deeper into treating consent and sex ed seriously in schools and the issues behind that. Uh, my little brother is 14 and he um, has told me in the past where they've had, when they, he goes to a co-ed school, their classes are split, but at lunchtime they um, mix boys and girls. So he does class with just boys. And when they've had um, sex ed in the past, he, because he has three older sisters, right? So like, everything is like normal to him he knows all about periods and you know everything but when they would mention anything sexual related to girls so if they mentioned periods in these sex ed classes every he just tells me every boy laughs it, he's like what's funny like because to him it's like not a big deal but all the boys laugh and they he was just describing them as how immature they were and um i mean 14 i was only 15 when it happened to me so it's not even that young really like I think a 14 year old is really young, but when I think back to me, like that's very close to how old I was. So I, I, there needs to be ways that it's being taught that's going to, I don't really know how, I think that that's just more like a society on a societal level where boys, it's funny and it's, you know, talking about anything to do with sex is going to be, it's awkward for people and um, anything to do with girls as well, like where, um, I wrote a dissertation in my undergrad actually on like how female sexuality is governed and how by law and how we we look at female sexuality and shame women for that so even something like periods which isn't really like it's not about sex but obviously it's something sexual to their bodies we it's every that's awkward for people you know girls don't even like talking about the period sometimes when they're younger let alone an environment where you want to be teaching boys about these things where to them it's just funny it's just so i don't know it needs to be the one of the first things that we're dealing with when teaching a, a class like this would need to be actually able to have those conversations in a serious way that's not just going to be dismissed or ignored and boys are then going to zone out because they're 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 uncomfortable or they don't care or whatever mm. so I, I really like that i don't know that to me is like one of the major things is actually being able to have the conversation in the first place in a way that's going to be received by the students. The issue of not taking it seriously also does come from peer pressure, as we talk about here. I think the pressure of being around, you know, peer pressure, where you're sort of like, Mm -hmm. if all the boys are laughing at a joke, you might just laugh with them because you think, oh, otherwise they'll make fun of me or, or they'll, you know, they'll think that I'm not like, part of the group or whatever so I think there's a lot of and just the language sometimes he uses really it's like misogynistic things he says but I don't think he fully and he just I'll like lecture him on it and he'll just say oh it's you know it's just a joke I would never say that seriously and stuff and when I spoke to him about my rape I I told him about it before I went public with it um because 
I mean, he's still young, but I just thought he's not that old. he's not that far from how old I was at the time. And I think it's like important for him to see how the effects, the consequences of potentially his actions, if he ever treats a girl like this. Um, and when we spoke about it, I said to him, this is why I always get annoyed when you say, even if it's something tiny, but it's a bit misogynistic. I, I hate that, even if it's a joke, because that contributes to a bigger culture where we just we end up dismissing minor assaults or sexism or whatever mm. the language he uses like after he comes home from school or when during term time for example is so different to the way he is outside of term time which suggests to me that it's just so much to do with the environment he's in when he's at school around other boys like he says his friends all laugh with him they all make these jokes think so so things like that in a sex ed class or consent ed class like that I don't know that I feel like that would be such a barrier to actually having a productive conversation because they just think it's funny and they want to fit in and they right. you know and, and how did your brother react to when you were confiding in him and talking about this stuff and saying it's not okay how did he react to that um oh he was really good about it like mm-hmm. you know he was really concerned firstly um about me and just was checking that I was okay and my sister told me after that he also went and spoke to her and just said how he was so worried that about me and my well-being which is really good um because I didn't I didn't really expect him to fully understand it or comprehend it fully um but no he was fully aware of the way like how consent works and you know he tells me he's like so afraid of ever doing anything wrong like that yeah Um, I ask also because people who are by themselves are so different like what we were talking about with peer pressure they're so different how they are in a group so I'm not sure in, in terms of consent, Ed, because if, could it be that the, and this is just like my internal dialogue now, but could it be that just the fact of it being a big class, is that inciting more people to not take it seriously because they care so much about what people around them are thinking when there's say like in a class of 30, there's 29 other people who are in the same room what what if we were to split it into smaller groups would they be more exposed yeah like or take it more seriously because it's it's really a touchy topic or or a hushed topic which adds to the fact that people will laugh about it to uh, in my opinion that laughter is really just to mask their discomfort because it's not a commonly talked about thing and and it's easier to laugh about it than it is to take it seriously because if you're one in a class of 30 and taking it seriously that might make you the butt of the joke instead and be like oh you're actually interested in this topic so really we need to take consent and sex ed seriously so now viewing it from an education point of view i asked yasmin what ways we can make the class environment more respectful and she says this we can improve or foster the right environment to have these discussions by watching the language we use. So, for example, in some schools where there's like dress codes how, where girls are, can like boys tend to get away with wearing more revealing things or girls are told to cover up their shoulders and things like that, particularly like in the US and places like that. That's something that um, kids will then absorb because obviously they're hearing that that's their life. Girls are being taught from such a young age that they can't show a shoulder or they can't show like, growing up for like formals and stuff like um when I was picking out dresses I was being told either show your legs or show like up here or something like don't show both because that's like not classy right like and um 
just language like that that we use in everyday life already sets that sort of tone that girls need to be more conservative and girls are the ones that need to be making themselves not vulnerable to male attention or whatever so I just think this kind of language is something that needs to be without that language we would be able to um, work towards fostering an environment that would from the start not be painting it as girls are the ones that need to be that are second class citizens and men are the ones that we have to um, uh, sort of create a world for them to be the most comfortable at our expense Um, so yeah I think language in that sense, not even directly related to sex or consent education is important. We also discuss how using words like rape is important in the sex ed class because avoiding it would only stigmatise it more. Like bring in examples and show um, whether it's in like a class, whatever it is, to say like this situation is rape and to just straight forward say like this is, this is and this isn't and to just make it more common in in the classroom and <laughs> to just normalize it basically yeah, well, for sure we should definitely be actually using those words and i even now like you may i probably haven't noticed it but i will sometimes say sexual assault it's because it's just such a like um heavy word and it obviously it's so aggressive like well that's how i feel when i say it and when i hear it i think a lot it, of people yeah it, it, it is and it just has that connotation but anyway as you were saying and so I, yeah i just try like even sometimes when i'm on the whole i'm largely like numb to it like i said before but still there are times where i'll be like i can't don't even feel comfortable saying it now and i'll just say sexual assault more is like an umbrella term even though sexual assault is less you know it's like a lower it's less severe whatever um so it's not actually reflective of what i went through and that's problematic because we should be calling things what they are mm-hmm. to avoid everything we've been discussing but anyway um i still feel that even though i probably have spoken about my rape well definitely i've spoken about it more than the average person would and more publicly and but it's still mm-hmm. something that occasionally uncomfortable We also do need to make an environment that doesn't antagonise genders or condemn those who have assaulted. And this is what Chanel Contos really advocates for, who Yasmin actually recommended looking into about sexual and consent ed. So this is what Yasmin says. She presents it as like they don't know, they don't have the education on consent. So they are doing things that they probably, not all of them, but most of them probably don't actually understand that that's not okay to do like you're saying people tend to do things because they think it's like fine um and she she advocates for like not punishing or viewing them not in like this way of they're just some criminal but rather in a way of they lack the education so let's give it to them and i hadn't that's like much more of an empathetic way to view them and i had never really thought of i'd never thought about this really until recently and when i started following her that just like opened my eyes a lot to the way it's clearly rooted in an education issue whether that's through consent education or just like family like as in not understanding how to treat people and things like that so we need to like and just the the knowledge of what is okay when it comes to consent so I think it's so interesting to view it more as and not punish them like like we were saying before not demonizing them for potentially having taken advantage of someone before but rather saying creating that environment where they're able to say, oh, I've done this and I think perhaps that was the wrong thing to do Mm -hmm. um, without the judgment and then teaching them why that's not okay. Like I just think that's way better of an approach because, yeah, it's just not going to make them feel targeted and shamed and judged. 
So then what does an effective environment to teach sensitive topics like rape look like? And Yasmin brings up REACH, which was an organisation that came to our school and really was effective in getting students to feel comfortable opening up. Vague, but like I remember we were encouraged to like share something personal or something we were struggling with at the time. Um, and everyone was crying and like even if they weren't that big a deal, like you were just crying because there was so much emotion and like yeah. uh, crying people with sadness and stuff. And I just remember thinking that that was so we just all connected so much and they were smaller class they were smaller groups I think like mm-hmm. 10 people maybe or something I'm like quite private with my um like I don't know life and until this all happened like I was very I didn't tell anyone about it I never spoke about it I'm just generally quite private with my emotions and feelings and even in that that class I think I said something personal and I was crying at everyone else and normally I would like try and avoid that at all costs and but it was just something about that environment that made me feel comfortable and everyone else comfortable with being so vulnerable mm-hmm. and I don't know if it have the same effect in an all boys scenario because they do have more of that pressure on them to be manly and which is a I mean that's not that's another issue that obviously plays into this whole discussion but something like that so I think you're, you'd have to be right surely the smaller the group perhaps the and obviously other factors that would influence how people are to be comfortable and take it seriously but I think yeah it would have to be smaller groups would probably be the best way of going about it anything I'm not sure if you've heard of Brene Brown uh, but she talks about vulnerability and shame I will link you some stuff of hers after because she's incredible and she talks about the fact that if there's so much as judgment or or criticism or anything in the environment the person will shut off will not share anything will feel shamed will um, keep to themselves if there's judgment and so I assume what this environment would have been like was a very open, non-judgmental place where the the coordinators must have also shared things about their lives or been vulnerable first. And I think to extend that back to consent ed for teachers and coordinators, like people who you don't relate with on a level, at least for traditional education, for them to share stories so that it normalizes it and it makes it not so like, oh, hush, hush, let's laugh about it and then be uncomfortable. But to know that like, okay, even our teachers or maybe even our principals or whatever are talking about this too. Um, yeah. So therefore we should take it seriously. So I think it, it needs to be like a culture within school, like everyone in it. So this actually reminds me of my chemistry teacher who would bring in life lessons during the class. And one day, I think we were just, you know, learning about organic chemistry or something. She just discussed how a drink was spiked by a date rape drug and really urged us to be careful. And that has still stuck with me to this day. And now on to the last part of our interview with Yasmin giving advice for victims and also the recommendations for family and friends around how to help. To basically address the victims, though, because I did want to also ask about what advice you would give to the victims who either, let's go for two, two groups, those who have um, come out with their, their claim and what advice you would give them and those who haven't yet. 
it's going to be very particular to the circumstances that I'm in. So I recognise that, like, I'm probably not the most representative victim of the whole victim group of people. But I do think that um, when I came forward with mine and was told that they're not charging him, it was the most disheartening thing like I've ever dealt with and I I was in bed for weeks and I just felt so like I just didn't go to uni I couldn't do anything because I just felt so this is before I came out publicly but when I was just had come report it to the police for me I was able to push through it and like come out the other end because I would look at the bigger picture and think about how many victims aren't being aren't can't come forward because they just don't have the mental, their mental health is not in a place where they can or they don't have the support or whatever, or they're young, they don't know they've been assaulted. I, I just would think about all them and think even just me, one person reporting my claim, even if it doesn't go anywhere, at least I've, um, it stays on the system for him um, even if they don't charge him. So if someone else reports him um, later on, they can see that he's had other um, claims made against him. So even just in that sense, like I think as someone who's come forward, whether you get the outcome you want or not, I just would advise everyone to um, remind themselves that it shouldn't be our obligation to do this because the system should just be supportive enough that everyone is heard. But we are like helping, even if it's one victim at a time, hold accountable people who do these kinds of things and contributing to what one day hopefully be a society and a criminal system that um, takes victims much more seriously. Even like, for example, from my my experience, because I always told myself it wasn't a big deal because it, it wasn't like, like I said before, people get raped by their parents and whatever. And I, my boyfriend helped me understand that I wouldn't have been able to, I probably without him like talking sense into me, I would never have reported it. But he helped me understand that even if you view your, your um, like assault as more minor um coming out and speaking about those more minor things helps us because right now we normalize so much behavior like i said being slapped like like in a freaking public park like um on the bum or whatever it might be what we've now normalized even more serious things to the point where now we people might only report when it hits a certain level and society might only think badly of those actions once it hits a certain level. So reporting things you might view as more minor um, helps us lower that sort of like threshold of what we consider as sexual assault and that will ultimately, ultimately contribute to a society that takes all sexual assaults more seriously because hopefully slowly it'll be lowered so that we don't accept any sort of um, misogyny or like inappropriate touching or comments or whatever. So I think, yeah, it's just really important to remind yourself, even if you don't get the outcome you want, that that's what you're working towards. At least that's what helped me. Um, obviously some people maybe aren't, their first priority is just themselves, as in it's so traumatizing that they just need to focus on themselves. And that might not be, that might not be significant to them at all. But for me, where I was in a position where I had stability, I just could focus on the bigger picture stuff. Um, because people keep asking me if I'm going to encourage the girls who messaged me to report their, I mean, their claim against my same rapist or their own. And I just think that we need to be sort of going off what I was just saying about thinking bigger picture at the same time. It's not, it shouldn't be our responsibility to do that because, you know, it's the same way with any issue where there's a marginalized group. Um, For example, 
um, racial or ethnic minorities shouldn't have to explain to white people why racism is bad or why, do you know what I mean? It's not their responsibility. It's not our responsibility to teach boys how to not assault us. Like they should just, that's their responsibility. Um, and in that sense, as a victim, you shouldn't feel like you have to talk about your story or report your, your experience just because, um, you should like just because that's you know the right thing to do from a, a the um wider scheme of things because it's your experience you're entitled to tell anyone that you want or not tell anyone if that's what you choose to do and so i think i would just i don't know it's just so hard to put into words but i think when in like a sentence the advice i'd give someone who's hasn't doesn't feel comfortable reporting or hasn't come out or whatever is that it's you shouldn't feel guilty you don't need to feel guilty. You just need to, you need to prioritize yourself all the time. And if, um, for me, like I felt so bad before I had, um, gone public with it because like I said, I was so, I felt so helpless and that for me is what I needed. Like I was thinking about posting it publicly for weeks and I would cry every night because I was like, I want to do it. But at the same time, I didn't want to like do anything that might reflect badly on me or, um, um jeopardize the case or anything but i and so i would fight the like desire to do it until i just couldn't anymore and um that's what i needed to like feel some peace and get this the closure sort of that i needed um and wanted whereas for other victims like you just they might not need that at all and it might be best for them to just in terms of their own mental health to not talk about it and and i just don't think we should be um going so far in this movement to highlight injustices that we, we like put pressure on victims to come forward mm -hmm. because I just, yeah, I mean, I don't think many people are doing that, but I think um, I, I at least can recognize that while I felt that I, I want to go into criminal justice and I want to go into policy and I didn't want, I felt like I wasn't being sort of true to myself. That sounds so cliche, but I wasn't following my own principles. If I was going to be trying to make the law better and encourage victims to come forward because um, or like I, in my work that I do, I, sp I do speak a lot to victims of sexual assault or domestic violence, things like that. And I felt like I wouldn't be able to pursue that career honestly. And I wouldn't feel good in myself if I hadn't um, held my own rapist accountable um, while then encouraging other women to do that. Mm -hmm. So I recognise that that's a very specific situation. So if you're not in a situation where that's something that is uh, like a priority for you then yeah just worry about yourself i know i've gone on for ages talking about this but yeah i think we just need to be prioritizing ourselves and what's necessary for you as a victim to heal right and in on the other side of it as well um do you have any advice for the peer support or the people who aren't you know that they have friends who may have been assaulted or anything what do you, do you have any advice for them in how to handle the situation around someone that they may know? I think it's tough because I think it would depend on the victim. So, mm -hmm. um, like, my first thought is encourage your friends to come out, even though I've just gave this, given this whole thing about how you shouldn't feel pressured to as a victim. But I, my first thought would be um, highlighting, So, because what helped me was that my boyfriend was saying, you're being delusional, like, this is serious because I was minimizing it so much yeah. and he was no this is serious and that's what worked for me and he obviously knows me well enough to know that I needed to hear that so I would like to think that it would be beneficial for friends to not um 
contribute to the so a victim's um like downplaying of her own experience so if a friend is saying you know I, I this happened to me but i don't think i'll report it i don't think it's a big deal i my first thought is friends should say no let's take this seriously we should be taking this seriously um because what happened to you was bad and you need to work through it sort of thing. But then I recognize that that can be quite triggering for some people who maybe their coping mechanism is just to like play it down and maybe being told that it is serious won't actually be useful for them. It might just actually send them, you know, they might spiral or they might like, it might, yeah, I don't know. They just could respond badly to that. So I think it would depend on the way to deal with it would be depending on what the victim is like and how yeah. maybe what they like do you know what I mean like I don't yeah. know it's sort of you can't really ever know how someone's going to react but I'm just so grateful that everyone around me like my sister my friends my boyfriend told me how serious it actually was because mm-hmm. I needed that but yeah. some people don't um and I think at the time when it happened I I had friends who knew when it happened and they didn't we didn't take it they didn't take it seriously either because they didn't understand boys um, these are mainly friends of mine who are boys and they didn't take it seriously. And when I've since spoken to them about it, now that it, it was being investigated, my friend, those same guys have apologised to me for how they didn't understand at the time what how serious it was either. And, like, one in particular just said, I'm so sorry, like, we should have done more for you at the time. So it's hard because they don't know what they're doing either, right? Like, mm-hmm. I had also other friends, other friends reaching out saying, who I was friends with at the time, like, from school, saying... I'm so sorry we didn't know this and we didn't help you through this at the time. And I just, it broke my heart receiving those messages because I all, and I would just say to all of them, like, even if I had told them, they don't, they would have been in the exact same position as me. They wouldn't have had the skills to understand what had happened, the knowledge, the, so I don't, I think it's hard with young victims to put any pressure even on their friends to deal with it in the right way because they're all young. They all have that lack of knowledge and understanding. I hope that changes though. I think that's what Consent Ed and all that's doing at least is hopefully, ideally, it's to provide like practical solutions on what to do when your friend, for example, is assaulted. Even if you may not be 100% sure, like who can you reach out to? Um, What's a guardian? Like who's a guardian that you can trust? Someone, what's a helpline that you can access? Um, stuff like that where even if they don't know themselves they have access to resources that mm-hmm. can point them in the right direction if if they need it in terms of like the advice that you would give to people in general i, I heard a trend which was to take it seriously to mm-hmm. um even if you have no idea what's going on to not immediately discount because i think that's a habit to sort of question as well but to just acknowledge because the person's feelings are legitimate yeah <laughs> they're feeling pain um i think we need to make sure at least that that person feels heard and that they're they're respected because they're human <laughs> they they deserve to be respected and i really hope that from listening to this that whether they have been assaulted, or whether they haven't whatever it is to understand that this is quite common and that people deserve to be listened to no matter what or that they feel comfortable to at least know that they're not alone um i'm, I'm really happy that you could jump on as well yasmin it's been I love talking about this stuff like 
it's just like such an area of interest for me as well so just it's you know not only can you like am I able to like use my experience to actually contribute to something positive but I also just genuinely enjoy these conversations so mm-hmm. yeah I'm really